How do we have peace in troubled times? Welcome to our American Family Radio special for Labor Day featuring Dr. Ray Pritchard. Ray is a frequent co-host of Today's Issues and serves as president of Keep Believing Ministries. And now here's Ray with How to Have Peace in Troubled Times. First of all, happy Labor Day. If you are listening to this broadcast, it means you made it. You made it through this long, hot summer. You made it to September. It's time for the kids to go back to school. It's time to get back to work. I'm glad we take a weekend to catch our breath before we get into our fall routine. So, wherever you are today, congratulations. And I hope you have a wonderful Labor Day with your family and friends. It has been a long summer and a long year, and it's been a long pandemic for that matter. We live in troubled times where no one seems very happy. I get that. But that's not exactly what I want to talk about. We all have our problems, big and small. Where can we go to find hope? I want us to look at a verse I first learned in Mrs. Sandberg's British literature class 50 years ago. As she began class one day, Mrs. Sandberg read a verse of scripture that had been particularly meaningful to her. Then she quoted Psalm 119, 165 from the King James Version. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. I am sure I had never heard that verse before. Mrs. Sandberg asked us if any of us were having a bad day. Well, you understand, of course. We all have days where things just don't seem to go right, where even nice people get on our nerves, and where we find ourselves getting easily irritated by things that would normally not bother us. She suggested that when we have a day like that, it might be because we haven't been spending time in the Word of God. If we find ourselves easily offended by other people, then we ought to take Psalm 119, 165 to heart. I have never forgotten her words, and over the years, I have returned to this verse on many occasions. Here is a message for unhappy, discouraged, and bent-out-of-shape Christians. We can express the promise in many ways. To those who love God's law, nothing will cause them to stumble, nothing will defeat them, everything fits, they will not stumble around in the dark, they are completely secure, and therefore they are not upended. It is a promise of personal security in a topsy-turvy, dangerous, uncertain, and sometimes very hostile world. Nothing we do can change the character of the world. It is what it is. But there is something we can do to keep the world from permanently changing us. There is a source of security in God's Word that gives us great peace and keeps us upright when everything else is turning upside down. Where does such confidence come from? It comes from knowing God's Word and building your life upon us. Psalm 119:165 tells us what happens when we do that. This verse contains a promise, a condition, and a result. Let's look briefly at each part. Here's the promise, great peace. Great peace have they who love your law. Peace is a wonderful concept and great peace is even better. 
Peace is man's highest hope and his fondest dream, and most days it seems so hard to achieve. We all know about Afghanistan, of course, but there are problems across the Middle East, worries about what China will do next, the safety of Taiwan, trouble in Africa, demonstrations in France, and many things that disturb us right here in the U.S. When Christ was born, the angel proclaimed, peace on earth, goodwill to men. But after 2,000 years, it still seems in short supply. The Hebrew word for peace is shalom. If you visit Israel, people on the street will greet you with shalom, peace to you, my friend. It is a mistake to think of shalom as simply being the absence of conflict. It is a much richer idea than that. Biblical shalom involves things like prosperity, happiness, contentment, and most of all, blessing from the Lord. It is a very positive, very rich, very wholesome concept. As Oswald Sanders said, peace is not the absence of trouble, but the presence of God. If we want this sort of great shalom from God, we must learn the meaning of submission. As long as we demand our own way, we will never have peace in our hearts. It is right at this point that many of us miss the mark. We begin the day by making our plans, setting our agenda, writing our to-do list. Nothing wrong with that. But then we present it to the Lord and say, If you don't mind, I'd like you to sign off on this. And if you could do it quickly, that would be fine because I've got a busy day ahead of me. We say we want God's will, but in truth, what we really want is God's rubber stamp on our plans. No wonder we are miserable and frustrated and anxious and easily alarmed and demanding and hyper-controlling and hard to live with. Do you know how to make God laugh? Tell him your plans. C.S. Lewis remarked that there are only two prayers in the universe, my will be done and thy will be done. Everything we pray fits into one of those two categories. I know from long experience that it's not easy to sincerely pray, thy will be done. Like most people, I would prefer that my will be done. There is something in all of us that wants to be in control, wants to run the show, wants to set the agenda, wants to be in charge. How humbling it is to consider the example of Jesus who stretched out on the ground in the Garden of Gethsemane, dripping bloody sweat in deepest agony as he contemplated the horrors of the cross. And there he prayed like this, My Father, If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. It costs something to pray like that. If you think it's easy, it is only because you have never surrendered your will in holy submission to your heavenly Father. It occurs to me that the only truly happy people I have ever known are those who have prayed, Thy will be done. They and they alone have the great peace of Psalm 119, 165. They have discovered that the way to peace is to yield everything to the Lord. Until you do that, there will be continual inner unrest. Blessed is the sorrow and blessed is the pain, 
and blessed is the disappointment, and blessed is the failure, and blessed are the saddest moments of life if that sorrow and that pain and that disappointment and that failure and that sadness causes us to say, O Lord, not my will, but yours be done. And accursed is the success, and accursed is the prosperity, and accursed is all our fame and fortune and networking and status grabbing and money making and empire building. Accursed be all of it if our success and fame and fortune and career expansion and all the rest does not lead us again and again to the place of full surrender where we gladly say, O oh Lord, you have been better to me than I deserve. Not my will, but thy will be done. Now, how can we know if we have this great peace that our text promises? Here are three marks to look for. First, a clear conscience. There will be no peace as long as we harbor known sin and wrong attitudes. Second, a contented heart. This means a heart at rest in the midst of the hustle and bustle of life. It is the opposite of a heart consumed with anxious care and the worries of the world. Third, a happy confidence in God. By this I mean a confidence that looks back and sees the hand of God in all the varied and changing circumstances of life. This sort of confidence sees God at work in good times and hard moments, leading you through some very dark valleys. This confidence looks at the present and says, I am here by God's appointment, therefore it is good for me to be here even though I might prefer to be somewhere else. And it looks to the future with anticipation, knowing that God will lead you step by step so that you end up exactly where He wants you to be. What a wonderful thing is this great peace, this great shalom of God. It is a promise within the reach of every child of God. Then there is the condition, those who love your law. There is a very specific condition attached to the promise of great peace. This great shalom is given only to those who love God's law. But that raises a good question. What does it mean to love God's law? How do you love a book of laws? The very idea of loving the law seems to be a sort of oxymoron, two words that don't normally go together. Now, suppose I go to the driver's license bureau and pick up the rules of the road. It's basically a set of laws governing how we should drive. So, as I begin to read it, I say to myself, I love this book. I love the rules about no passing on a hill. I love the law that covers parallel parking, and I really love the regulations for getting your license renewed. And suppose I love the booklet so much that I take it with me wherever I go. Most people would think that's a little strange, and they would be right. So let's try that illustration another way. Suppose you buy a Betty Crocker cookbook. When I ask you how you like it, you tell me, oh, I love this cookbook. I love everything about it. I love the way it looks and feels. I love the way the pages are so neat. And I love the typeface. 
I even love the index at the back, but I really love the recipe for veal parmesan. I read it six or seven times a day, and when I do, it's hard to keep from crying. If you talked like that, I would probably conclude that you are in serious need of some professional help. Now, let's make one small change in that illustration. Let's suppose that the recipe book is from your grandmother. Each recipe was written in her own hand, and each page is worn and stained from the cooking she did many years ago. As you turn each page and read each recipe, you remember your grandmother and how much she meant to you. You love that recipe book because you love the person who wrote it. It's more than words on a piece of paper. It's a reminder of a family relationship, a precious symbol of love that spans the generations. When I think of the Bible that way, the concept of loving God's law takes on new meaning. We are not to love the Bible in the sense of loving the ink printed on the paper. And it's not just the words we love or even the message contained in the words. We love this book because we love the one who wrote this book. His words have meaning for us because we know him personally. Seen in this light, loving God's law means more than reading the Bible or memorizing certain verses or meditating on your daily Bible reading, as good as those things are. It goes beyond mere approval or admiration, and it even goes beyond delighting in the Word. To love God's law means to embrace it wholeheartedly as the rule of your life. Because we love God, we love His Word, and we make it the foundation and the center of all that we do. The recent pandemic has had one major benefit. It stopped most of us in our tracks and forced us to stay home. My wife and I spent many hours together in our den. Marlene had been listening to the Bible, and when the pandemic started, she was in the book of Job. I joined her, and day by day, we sat and listened to the Bible being read using one of those Bible apps like YouVersion or Bible Gateway. Slowly, listening a little bit each day, we made our way through Psalms and the major prophets and the minor prophets, and then we listened together through the New Testament, the Gospels, the Book of Acts, the Epistles, the Book of Revelation. When we finished Revelation, we started listening in the Book of Genesis. At this moment, we've made our way to Jeremiah for the second time around. What a blessing it has been to practice Bible listening together. We listen to three chapters each day, then we pray together. In the 47 years we have been married, nothing has strengthened our devotional time together like sitting and listening to the Word of God. I heartily recommend that you try some Bible listening. I think that by the time you get to Deuteronomy, you will like it. And by the time you get to Isaiah, you will love it. And by the time you get to 1 Corinthians, it will be such a part of your life that you can't live without it. And when you finally get to Revelation, I hope you will say, I truly love God's Word, and I want to spend the rest of my life getting to know it better. Here, then, is a practical application for all of us. As you think about this verse, 
and contemplate what it promises and what it requires. Ask God to give you a true and deep, lasting love for His Word. What I mean is, pray this way, Lord, I know your word. Lord, I read your word. Lord God, help me to love your word. Help me to love it with all my heart. Pray like that. Tell the Lord you want to be more than a reader of the word and more than a student of the word. Tell him you want to love his word. Ask him for that kind of love. Pray that it might be implanted in your heart. If we ask in sincerity, that's a prayer God will be pleased to answer. And then we come to the result. Here's the end of the promise. Nothing shall offend them. Great peace have those who love your law, and nothing shall offend them. Wow, what a promise. This is the wonderful result that comes from the great peace God gives to those who love His law. The King James says, nothing shall offend them. That in itself seems like a fantastic promise, an incredible result, almost too good to be true. You can check the word nothing in Hebrew and you'll discover that it means nothing. No offense taken, nothing will irritate us, nothing will destroy our calm composure, Nothing will get under our skin. Nothing will make us hot and bothered. Nothing will cause us to be bent out of shape or edgy or angry or frustrated. That's quite a promise if you think about it. When I read those words, I almost unconsciously want to downgrade them like this. Not very many things will offend them or most things won't bother them, but a few things will really tick them off. That, of course, is my flesh not wanting to take God's Word at face value, and it reveals the tendency we all have to make excuses for our wrong attitudes. The newer versions translate this last phrase using words related to stumbling. Nothing can make them stumble. No stumbling around in the dark for them. They are not upended. The word picture means we will have a strong foundation in times of trouble. But note something very important. The verse does not say there won't be stumbling blocks. That would be a false promise. Recently, a good friend said to me, we're all just dodging bullets. I knew what he meant. I know what he means. Life is filled with problems and difficulties. Sooner or later, we all have to deal with sickness, failure, disappointment, sadness, tragedy, betrayal, and the difficulties of everyday life. Death comes knocking on every door eventually. Man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward, Job 5:7. So, When you read this verse, make sure you understand that there will still be stumbling blocks along the way. We will all have our full measure of problems to deal with before this life is over. But the promise of God is this. To those who love God's law, as you face the problems of life, you'll still have problems, but they will not cause you to stumble. Perhaps you will step over them, or perhaps you will walk around them or God will give you the grace to walk through them. But in any case, you will not stumble, you will not fall, you will not be destroyed by the changing circumstances of life. Let's consider what this means in practical terms. 
If we are attacked or falsely accused, we will not stumble. If we are ridiculed for our faith, we will not stumble. If we struggle with temptation, we will not stumble. If we are bothered by the failures of others we trusted, we will not stumble. If we face hard times and bad circumstances, we will not stumble. If we are bothered by the arguments of skeptics, we will not stumble. If we are consumed with fear or worry, we will not stumble. If we are deeply troubled by tragedies in the world, we will not stumble. If we feel unequal to the task set before us, we will not stumble. If we fear being left alone, we will not stumble. If we lose a loved one in sudden death, we will not stumble. Above the clouds, the sun is always shining. When I am on the ground, the clouds obscure the sun. And for a while, the dark clouds may fill the entire horizon. In those moments, I know by faith that those clouds, though dark and angry in appearance, will not be there forever. But even while they remain, they only obscure the sun. They cannot remove it. So it is with our Heavenly Father and the storm clouds of life. There are times for all of us when the storm clouds of sorrow and suffering threaten to overwhelm us. In those moments, we are tempted to despair because of what we see all around us. But then the Lord says, My child, fear not. Above the clouds of sadness, the sunlight of my love is always shining. Today you do not see it, you do not feel it, and you fear the sunlight is gone forever. But wait a little while, and the clouds will be gone, and the sun will shine again. And know this, even when you do not see it, the sun is shining above the clouds, even when the storms are breaking over your head. Great peace have they who love God's law, and nothing shall offend them. Nothing will cause them to stumble. Nothing can defeat them. Sometimes when I give a message like this, I say, I know there's somebody out there who needed to hear that this morning. I am totally certain we all need to hear that today. So here is the promise of God. Because the Word of God is our foundation, we are completely secure. That's true today, tomorrow, and forever. And here's some really good news. That's true no matter what happens in the White House or on Wall Street or in Hollywood or in Congress or at the Supreme Court or over in Asia or Africa or Europe. No matter what troubles may befall us, no matter what may happen in the world around us, here is a promise of God that is true in good times and in bad times. Build your life on the Word of God and nothing will offend you. Remember, Psalm 119, 165 says, Great peace have they who love your law, and nothing shall offend them. Build your life on the Word of God, and you can claim this promise. Why? Because it's God's promise to you today, tomorrow, and forever. On that note, I wish you and yours a very happy Labor Day celebration.
You've been listening to How to Have Peace in Troubled Times, featuring Dr. Ray Pritchard. Ray is president of Keep Believing Ministries and a frequent co-host of today's issues on AFR. To connect with Ray or learn more about Keep Believing Ministries, visit keepbelieving.com. Hear this message again on the podcast page at AFR.net. How to Have Peace in Troubled Times is an American Family Radio special presentation.